The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. I want to mention a great resource for writers, and this month's sponsor, Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. I'll expound later in the show, but the short version is this long-awaited book about the craft of creative writing from New York Times bestselling author Steve Almond sets out to debunk the well-meaning but misguided myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and most honest work. Pick up a copy today of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, wherever you buy books, more soon. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something special. The Writer Files is brought to you by Studio Press, the industry standard for premium WordPress themes and plugins. Built on the Genesis framework, Studio Press delivers state-of-the-art SEO tools, beautiful and fully responsive design, airtight security, instant updates, and much more. If you're ready to take your WordPress site to the next level, see for yourself why over 177,000 website owners trust Studio Press. Go to rainmaker.fm slash studiopress right now. That's rainmaker.fm slash studiopress. These are the writer files. A tour of the habits, habitats, and brains of working writers. From online content creators to fictionists, journalists, entrepreneurs, and beyond. I'm your host, Calvin Reed, writer, podcaster, and mediophile. And each week, we'll discover how great writers keep the ink flowing, the cursor moving, and avoid writer's block. Gonzo essayist and creative nonfiction author Kent Russell dropped by this week to chat with me about his hybrid reportage on the margins of society and the process of a big city freelance journalist. Mr. Russell's critically lauded first collection, I Am Sorry to Think I Have Raised a Timid Son, was recently re-released in paperback, and Vanity Fair called it a ludicrously smart, tragicomic, man-on-the-edge memoir in essays. The acclaimed writer has been compared to David Foster Wallace by the New York Times Book Review, and his writing has appeared in the New York Times Magazine, Tin House, The New Republic, Harper's GQ, N Plus One, The Believer, and many others. Join us for this two-part interview. In part one of the file, Kent and I discuss the promiscuity of freelance writers, why you should overwrite your first drafts, how to research your stories like RoboCop, why all writing is still rewriting, and a writer's reliance on cloud word processing. And we are rolling on the writer files with Mr. Kent Russell. Thank you so much for taking time to wrap with me on the podcast. My pleasure, Kelton. Thanks for having me. For listeners who might not be familiar with your story, could you give us a little bit of your kind of origins as a writer? Uh, sure thing. Uh, you know, I'm from Miami, Florida. 30, I just turned 30 years old uh, the other month, which was kind of horrifying. But the, uh, you know, death comes for us all, Kelton. I'm getting up there now. <laughs> uh, 
But yeah, I, I've uh, been kind of a like a magazine journalist, a long form writer, even though I know long form is kind of a dirty word. Uh, I've been writing uh, for magazines and literary journals and websites and stuff since I was about 22 or 23 years old. So, you know, it's been about, you know, seven, eight year uh, process for me so far. So still pretty young, still kind of learning. But uh, yeah, I... I kind of, when I was 22, I was in a graduate program at NYU, and I wrote a, a story that's actually the, the first story in, in the book that just got released in paperback. I'm sorry to think I've raised a timid son. And, uh, you know, the story was about kind of my relationship with my dad and my best friend who kind of grew up with me as a de facto brother. Uh, and, you know, about I come from a, a military family. And, you know, there, there was this kind of expectation that I would join a branch of the service, but then... My father kind of pulled back on that and instead kind of pushed this friend of mine slash brother into it. And, you know, I just wrote about that, really. And uh, it got, I published it in the, uh, the literary journal N Plus One, the fine literary journal. And, uh, yeah, from there, you know, it, it was kind of amazing. Uh, I had other kind of magazine editors, literary journal editors, agents, whoever else it was, you know, kind of hollering at me, you know, just from that one piece. And I kind of kind of went from you know, going from paying people $15 to like read my submission to a literary journal to, <laughs> you know, having people come at you. It kind of felt like being an actor, I guess, and getting like your big break or whatever yeah. it was. But yeah, that was it for me. That's cool. So um, do you think that was the aha moment for you? Kind of when, when people came knocking on your door uh, or did you have an aha moment earlier in your career that, that you could kind of point to when you've thought, yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm really going to take a crack oh. at it. Oh, Kelton, I, I still am waiting for that aha moment. <laughs> it's, uh, it's still every day, you know, it's, I, I would call myself a freelance writer, you know, uh, in every day is kind of that you, you wait for that aha moment to kind of revalidate yourself every day. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's, I kind of enjoy that. I, you know, the, the challenge of kind of remaking your world, your professional world every day, uh, you know, and that it both can feel kind of daunting, but also in, in incredibly gratifying because, you know, you do kind of get reminded that maybe you can keep doing this, you know, as a career day in and day out. But yeah, I mean, the, I don't know. I, 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 I feel like if I ever had like this aha moment that, uh, you know, like, I, I'm excellent at this and like, I can continue to do this, you know, and be super, super confident in this, then that would kind of like scare me a little bit into thinking, you know, maybe I'm going to like ossify in my ways of writing or working or whatever else it is. So, you know, <laughs> I, I like to think that, you know, the, the lack of an aha moment is a, a good thing, or at least that's the way I'm spinning it in my own mind. That's cool. Well, the, um, the book is, I am sorry to think I've raised a timid son and it's, uh, some really compelling, arresting memoir and, uh, essay reportage, mm -hmm. kind of a hybrid and yeah. we're calling it literary nonfiction, but do you call yourself an essayist now or? Uh, that's a, that's a great question. Um, you know, I, I kind of also hesitate a little bit in calling myself an essayist just because I have like such tremendous respect for what I consider to be like real essayists, you know, but uh, no, like, you know, it's because it is such kind of like a, a protein and fluid form and everybody has their own idea of what they think an essayist is when they think of it. You know, I, I, when I hear essayists, you know, I think of like Montaigne or I think of like Leslie Jameson or Charles D'Ambrosio or all these people who, you know, what is so compelling and so beautiful about their work is 
just seeing like the 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 a mind unfolding on on the page almost you know it's mm. it's getting getting access to this thought process into this really intimate and really human you know act of just trying to figure out what it is that you think about something what you believe and you know i obviously there's a lot of artifice in that you know it's not all organic because you know they're artists but you know what i what i end up writing i feel like is less so of that kind of like, you know, watching like a brain bloom like a flower, like a time lapse, you know, flower opening or something. <laughs> I, and instead, you know, I, I kind of, at least in, in the book, in the pieces that would become the book and would be rewritten to become the book and all that, I think I took it more of an approach uh, where, you know, the me and all of these stories, the ones that are reported and kind of mixed with memoir, it's very much the same character that's kind of progressing through these stories. But, you know, treating him, you know, this version of me that's kind of growing to some kind of like maturity or whatever you want to call it. Uh, he, you know, he is he's more of almost like a, a character that you might see in like a short story or a novel or something like that. Or at least that's how I like to conceive of it. And so it's less it's a, it's a little more, uh, you know, kind of creating a character and placing him in these worlds. So the world's kind of bound by fact and things like that. But it, to me, it was kind of a more conscious like deployment of character than necessarily just, uh, you know, being like, here's what I think about falling off of a horse, you know, or whatever, <laughs> whatever else Montaigne was writing about. Well, I'm sure you could write quite well about that <laughs> as well. But, um, you know, I mean, it's kind of interesting that you've been compared to, um, some greats in the, in the, uh, genre and including David Foster Wallace. And, you know, <laughs> I get that kind of vein of, um, uh, gonzo uh, journalism as well, which is cool because I'm a huge fan of uh, Hunter. And uh, anyway, congrats on the successes of uh, the book. I understand that it's getting paperback edition coming out or is out yeah. probably um, by the time that we publish this. So congrats on that. Thank you. Earlier in the show, I mentioned an invaluable resource for writers. Truth is the arrow. Mercy is the bow a DIY manual for the construction of stories based on three decades of writing, failing, and trying again. Author Steve Almond is a beloved professor at Harvard and Wesleyan and the acclaimed New York Times bestseller of 12 books of fiction and nonfiction. And in Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, Steve employs the radical empathy he displayed as a co-host of the Dear Sugars podcast with Cheryl Strayed, where they explored the joys and trials of storytelling to explode myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and truest work. The book includes chapters on plot, character, and chronology, but travels far beyond the earnest intentions of most craft books. It also includes writing prompts to generate new work. Pulitzer Prize-winning author Richard Russo called it one of the best books on writing he's ever read, and also the funniest. Pick up a copy of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories wherever you buy books and add it to your TBR today. And just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash the writer files for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, 
Rogers Happy Hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join to get a preview, and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash the writer files. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on. So where else out there can we find your writing? I know you've published with some some really great um, yeah. lit mags and other places. Where else can we find it? Yeah, man, I'm all over the place. Um, that's kind of the beauty of being a freelancer is uh, I'm very promiscuous. But uh, yeah, I've been, you know, it, the book stuff was kind of cold from pieces that, you know, some form of them originally appeared in like N plus one, The Believer, Tin House, uh, a few of them were in the New Republic. Uh, some pieces of it were in like Grantland and things like that. Recently, I've, you know, I did a little thing for the New York Times Magazine. I wrote uh, one of the new uh, kind of sections that they introduced in that magazine. It's called a letter of recommendation, <laughs> where you're supposed to, you know, take something that maybe isn't as uh, doesn't get the praise that maybe it deserves, or you know, has a bad reputation, and you kind of write like a little elegy thing for it. So uh, obviously, I chose hangovers and wrote about, uh, <laughs> you know, the, there there could be a kind of utility. For hangovers. Nice. Uh, what was interesting about that is uh, the, the comments section. Oh my God, that was fantastic to read. <laughs> Actually, this is a, is a quick aside. You know, I they, you have people being like, I never read my reviews. Like, no, I w- wouldn't read word one about that. I read every every review <laughs> that anybody <laughs> writes. You know, I'm just always fascinated. Uh, you know, especially with nonfiction, people kind of want to take want there to believe that there's kind of a one-to-one correspondence between like the person on the page and the person who wrote it you know so they, they I feel like a lot of people feel as though they're kind of reviewing me as a person when they like review my stuff so yeah. a, a weird vein of that that I've kind of discovered at least like three or four instances of it is people telling other people not to marry me like <laughs> just what? be like look out for this guy like don't anybody become engaged in any kind of romantic commitment with this guy. So anyway, uh, to get back to your question, that that kind of went along with the New York Times magazine thing. Uh, I've also like written recently for like ESPN magazine uh, and also uh, one of my favorite editors to work with, a guy named Greg Vs. He is uh, along with Rachel Morris. They both used to work at the New Republic uh, before its kind of implosion the other year. And so my friend Vies, uh started up, along with Rachel Morris, the Huffington Post's new like, long-form vertical called the HuffPost Highline. Mm. And I wrote a, a big, long thing for them late last year about witch hunts in Papua New Guinea. Mm. So, yeah, I'm kind of trying to move away a little bit from the, uh, the overtly personal Cool, cool. Well, I'll pick your brain about hangovers later, to be sure. And uh, I know you've written about hockey extensively, including in in the collection here. Oh, yeah. Um, What are you presently working on? Um, You know, I did, uh, I, you know, was raised Catholic, went to a Catholic school for a very long time, uh, baptized and all that. Our mother, I have two sisters, our mother is like a, a big, huge, very devout Catholic. And over the summer, the previous summer, she, uh, she found this kind of long, long pilgrimage to the Holy Land that she wanted to participate in. And she invited, uh, you know, my sisters and I and I, one of my sisters and I both agreed. And so I went on this long pilgrimage with my mother uh, and one of my sisters who could only attend briefly. Uh, but, yeah, I'm trying to write about, you know, kind of the the emotional and spiritual experience of being somebody who after kind of growing up that certain way really fell away from, uh, you know, like Catholicism or 
certain kinds of ways of being and kind of being confronted with that again with uh, my mother who was kind of someone who was working all the time, you know, kind of providing for the family when I was a kid. And so, you know, kind of twin narrative of going on this pilgrimage and uh, kind of getting to know my mom for the first time. So, yeah, I'm trying to make that not seem like cloying or overly sentimental, but <laughs> trying to trying to turn that into something. That sounds very interesting. And it, it, do you plan on making that into a longer piece or is that going to be? Yeah, that's the thing with, you know, something something like this where, you know, I'm somebody who I kind of take way too many notes, far more notes than I should. And I feel like every kind of, uh, you know, every kind of microaggression or whatever else it is, is like worthy of its own three page digression. And only in the editing does that get like whittled back. So at this point, this thing is like, you know, spilled over every boundary. It's, you know, tens of thousands of words. I have no idea what I'm doing here, Kelton. I got to, you know, first just throw it all out there and then decide what it is, you know, what it even is that I'm attempting, right? So yeah. I could yeah, I could even tell you at this point. Okay. Well, we will look for that. And um, I'd love to dig into your productivity a little bit as a writer. Um, How much uh, time per day would you say you're kind of doing research for stuff or, you know, kind of poking around the internet to to find stuff? Being like a freelance kind of magazine guy, uh, you know, nonfiction guy. I have friends, you know, like accountants or occupational therapists or what have you. You know, and they're always like, bro, like you, you have the, the perfect life. Like you don't have to go to an office. You just get to, you know, do whatever you want all day and, you know, all the rest of it. And it's kind of hard to explain to them that like actually because I don't have like a nine to five existence that like I kind of look at everything I do as like research, you know, like yeah. I, I, whatever I'm reading or, you know, like when I'm scanning headlines or kind of browsing the internet, there's like this part of me that's like the, you know, when you would get to see through like RoboCop's eyes or like the Terminator's <laughs> eyes where like the rectacle like locks onto something. And I'm just like, is that a story idea? What is that? Like, let me delve deeper in that. So like, I feel like I'm never necessarily off the clock, but like in terms of like writing, you know, I try to do uh, like five hours a day. If I have like a project that I'm working on uh, at least five after, wow. you know, four, four and a half I begin to just like all coherence is lost, like the wheels <laughs> fall off the bus and I just have to get away. But yeah, I, you know, just try to both, uh, both put in the time, just like physically being present at the desk. And then also just try to do like a thousand words, even if they're garbage words, you know, just like throw, throw the words on the page and maybe I can sift through them like a, you know, gold miner later and see if anything's actually there. Yeah. But it's, a, it's a whole lot. Yeah. It's like a, you know, wake up, do, do the work, take a little bit of a break and then come back. And, you know, depending on my mood, either I'll, you know, read pretty seriously for a few hours in the night or I'll like try to kind of hunt and peck at what I've already written. But mm. yeah, so it's, it's kind of like a around the clock thing for me. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like you are writing every day then. I try to, uh, but if not, uh, if I don't necessarily have like something that I'm either editing or working for, towards as a draft like I'm doing right now. Like before I started really getting serious about this and speaking with an editor about it, the Holy Land thing, I mean, uh, you know, like I was trying to plan for this other idea and that was just straight up reading like all day, every day, you know, like hours of reading through dry, you know, historical tomes about like Florida and the interstate highway system, (laughs) you know, whatever else and just kind of laying the groundwork that way. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, your your stuff seems to me like intensely uh, well researched. I mean, I'm I'm referring especially to the um, portion of your book about the uh, the snake handler who uh, is uh, kind of doing the um, what you call mithridate uh, poison. Yeah, what is it? It's it's so fascinating. Yeah, he's self immunizing ah. snake poison. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that just seems so uh, meticulously researched, some of that stuff, and also horrifying. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I'm, I'm you know, neither hot nor cold on snakes, but I understand <laughs> that like I've done readings where people just walk out of the room when I start talking about you know, like, a man handling a cobra. Yeah. But uh, yeah, like, you know, I, I never want to go into a situation where I'm just completely ignorant on a subject. And I know there's a lot to be said, especially if you're doing more of like a journalistic focus or, you know, you're reporting more on something. There's a lot to be said for kind of going in like a fool because, you know, people want to talk to somebody who is like a fool in a lot of ways, you know, you didn't, nobody wants to talk to like, you know, the smart aleck or, you know, the know-it-all. And right. if you can kind of, you know, even take on this like uh, persona of someone who's not as smart as you are, then you may get more out of people. But yeah, I, I feel like if I don't go in there at least knowing a little bit about this world or about, you know, the background of it, then I won't know if somebody's just trying to feed me, you know, a real BS story or some really facile kind of, you know, <laughs> whatever the thing is that's not the story. So yeah, yeah I, try, I try to do my homework beforehand. Do you have any pregame rituals that kind of get you into the writing mode at all? Yeah, um, I, uh, you know, I, I'll wake up and I'll, you know, scan the paper, wish I'd read more of the paper than I do, and then kind of get the, get the coffee ready, and then just blast real bad music and kind of dance a little <laughs> bit, you know? Like, I, I live by myself in an apartment in Brooklyn that's got kind of like a narrow hallway in it, and I'll just put on, you know, bad rap music and gesticulate wildly while pacing back and forth. <laughs> uh, through my uh, hallway and just kind of kind of get myself hyped for the writing to come. Well, that sounds like a lot of fun. And I'm sure uh, hopefully your neighbors aren't also writers who are <laughs> shaking their fists and yeah, yeah. agony. Um, do you, uh, here's the million dollar question. Do you believe in writer's block? Uh, you know, I don't think I do. Um, I just because the way that I write and, you know, I kind of wish I didn't write this way. But I tend to just like I was saying, just go at it, you know, just just type, even if it's me kind of almost like automatically typing out whatever's in my head to kind of get me going. And I feel like, uh, you know, whether or not that's, you know, beautifully like diamond honed prose like that, that doesn't matter at the moment of, you know, when I'm writing it. And I kind of fully believe that all writing is rewriting. And so for me, it's less about kind of sitting there and kind of just squeezing out, you know, these like perfect, uh, you know, turning coal, coal into diamonds. It's rather just kind of putting something down there day after day. Sometimes I don't even look at what I did the day before and just kind of scooping out whatever this thing, whatever this thing is, is inside of me. And, uh, you know, I know that I'm going to go back and look over it and that's when I'm really going to start making sense of something. But to me, the most important thing is to just kind of do it, just sit there and do it. And it'll probably feel bad. It'll probably feel like you're just, you know, producing garbage. But when you go back and look at it, you know, you'll be surprised at how much kind of unconscious sense you made of stuff. And so, yeah, I mean, I totally understand like, uh, the the concept or like you know that the people struggle with it and I kind of admire them 
uh, because I feel like they put more uh, kind of emphasis on, you know, stitching together like beautifully embroidered sentences one after the other. Whereas I'm just kind of like throwing the switch on this kind of like uh, outflow pipe that's just pumping all this waste product into the ocean of the, you know, blank page or whatever. But uh, yeah, I, I just, you know, to me, it's just putting hands to keyboard and just going. Nice, nice. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Well, um, I'd like to pick your brain a little bit about just kind of your workflow. Um, I understand that you're working at, presently working on a Mac, or do you have like another typewriter hidden there in the corner? No, please. No, no. Like a uh, 60 pound, whatever, uh, Leno type, whatever you call that stuff. Uh, yeah, I, that's a, a good question because there's speaking of hangovers, uh, I woke up one day, uh, one Saturday in my apartment and you know, it's, I feel like this is a fairly common phenomenon where I apparently had been online shopping the night before, you know, <laughs> after going out with my friends, I didn't necessarily remember what I had browsed for, or, you know, what I had purchased. And I got an email from the Best Buy in the Atlantic Terminal in Brooklyn telling me that my, like, giant 27-inch desktop Mac was, like, ready for me to pick up. You know, yeah, and I just kind of was, was befuddled for a moment. And uh, I guess, it, you know, it's some kind of uh, unconscious desire in me. You know, I've been working on a laptop for years and years and years and years, basically since I went, went away uh, to college. Uh, and I, something in me just wanted the experience of sitting at a desk and working at a desktop. And I guess all that needed to come out was, you know, me having 14 beers and then getting on, uh, <laughs> getting on bestbuy.com. But yeah, I bought this, uh, enormous, enormous computer, uh, that I'm actually sitting in front of right now. And, uh, yeah, it's been kind of wonderful for me. I got to say, I, I'm not somebody who tends to like go to the coffee shop or anything too much, but to actually, have like a desk that is explicitly for work. And then like when I'm not working, I can go away from this monstrous desktop computer. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, yeah, it's, uh, yeah it's, uh, I like it. Yeah, I agree. I think the bigger uh, monitors has something kind of grounding about grounding force to it. Oh, yeah. Um, so what kind of software are you relying on most? Are you a, it seems like we've got two camps, Microsoft Word mm. or Scrivener guy. Mm. Yeah, my sister, who herself is a novelist and a short story writer, she has been, you know, uh, we make her, or we don't make her, but we have over the years encouraged her to only buy those cheap little Chromebook computers that are only like 200 bucks because she is always just like spilling venti coffees directly onto the keyboard, you know, just kind of holding them and turning them over onto the computer itself. And she has been, you know, I guess someone, she has moved out to Portland where somebody has been like whispering in her ear that she needs to use Scrivener. And so she's been trying to like get me to help her figure out how she can get like a cheap Microsoft like laptop to get Scrivener on it, whatever. I have never used that. Uh, it looks way too complicated for me. Uh, in fact, like I was thinking about this earlier today. I am so totally reliant on Google Docs that it kind of scares mm. me. Uh, 
Like that is, it's basically like my repository. Uh, you know, I'll compose like on this computer here. I'll use like, you know, pages or whatever is the, the kind of built-in mm-hmm. word processing thing on the Mac. And then I'll just kind of, when I'm comfortable or when I'm done composing that, I'll just cut it and paste it into my like, you know, big uh, Google Doc. Uh, you know, draft file and they'll have like five to 10 of those per story and whatever. Hmm. But there's a part of me that is like so terrified of like the EMP going off, you know, like at any <laughs> moment. And then like my whole oeuvre is lost. So I like, like some kind of madman, like every three days I download my entire, you know, multiple gigabyte Google Docs library and store it on like a thumb drive, like on my computer locally. I'll put it in a separate like Microsoft cloud because maybe yeah. that one will uh, kind of uh, make it through the apocalypse. But sure. yeah, for me, it's a, it's a whole lot of Google Docs. <laughs> well, that sounds like um, a, a kind of a uh, organizational hack in, in and of itself. <laughs> Although I'm not sure I would recommend um, that particular file path. <laughs> but do you have any other um, kind of organiz- organizational hacks that help you put together projects aside from everything you just mentioned? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, perhaps not a hack. Perhaps that is more of a yeah, an electronic hoarding. Uh, habit but no uh like i kind of understand the impulse find scrivener because i think it just does what i tend to do in like a more insane way uh you know in terms of kind of compartmentalizing stuff and just kind of pulling it apart and keeping it in separate locations for when you need it and stuff what i tend to do especially like when we talked about research you know, I do a lot of reading and research beforehand, and then, you know, I'll maybe if it's a reported piece, I'll go out and report it. If it's more of a memoir piece, I'll, like, kind of, as it were, like, report on my brain, just kind of sit in, like, a dark room and just, you know, type everything as I think it, you know, whatever those memories may have been. Hmm. And I, I kind of have almost, like, these two halves that need to be synthesized into, like, whatever the piece may be. Uh, but as to, like, is it, like, a hack or not, like, that... The one half of that, which deals with like my research, my reading, you know, whatever, like my previous interviews with people, like I end up kind of organizing them again within like a 50 page Google document, probably not the best idea, but uh, I'll like have little subheadings that I'll have in like 48 point font that I'll highlight, you know, like marigold yellow. So in bold and underline them. And then I'll put all the stuff about like, you know, uh, snake venom and I'll like put all my like research under there and then I'll have, you know, like, uh, Wisconsin in the winter time or whatever it is. And then, you know, it's, it's all these like kind of discrete, uh, informational subheadings that when, depending on, uh, you know, where I am in the writing or the drafting of something, I can then quickly go to like this master file of all the things that I need. And then I'll make a copy of that file that I can like copy and paste from and see that I'm actually like plucking the meat from the bones of it and all that. Anyway, this is a very uh, idiosyncratic and insane process that I would not recommend any of our listeners here <laughs> attempt themselves. I have like my own, my own like little legend inside my head where if I don't bold something, it's, you know, it's whatever. It can probably be thrown away. If I bold it, that's the next step up. If I bold it and underline it, you know, look out. That's pretty important. If I bold it, underline it, highlight it yellow, you know, like red alerts. And if I bold it, underline it, and highlight it like neon green, it's like the throbbing, you know, heart of whatever the matter is at hand. So I've got my own, my own insane, totally insane methods over here. 
Thanks so much for joining me for this half of a tour through the writer's process. If you enjoy the Writer Files podcast, please subscribe to the show and leave us a rating or a review on iTunes to help other writers find us. For more episodes or to just leave a comment or a question, you can drop by writerfiles.fm. And you can always chat with me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Cheers. Talk to you next week.